educating all of our children must be one of our urgent priorities. From Solid Gold Studios, this is EduThink, the show that explores education in South Africa. Here's your host, Gavin Kennedy. Travel means different things to different people. Today in the studio, we've got Gershom Acheson, Headmaster of Education Incorporated, schooled in always, and Tamon Connolly from World Challenge Expedition South Africa. They're going to be discussing travel as it relates to education and schools and how it can be integrated into the curriculum and how those outcomes we look for from education can be partially achieved using travel. Gershom, good to have you back in the studio. Thank you very much, Kevin. Great to be here. Tamon, welcome to the studio. Could you tell us a little bit more about World Challenge? World Challenge Expeditions is an adventure, educational adventure company. We concentrate on high school students and we get them out of their comfort zones um, to travel abroad, but also to put the whole program together before they even depart. So we like to spark new dreams in all their lives and allow them the experiential learning that we'll probably be talking about today, about getting out there and making real life decisions without moms and dads in the background. <laughs> Excellent. Gershom, how, how did you come across World Challenge? What, what was the reason that you, your paths have crossed? In the last couple of years, Education Incorporated has understood the value of traveling. I only started traveling at 28 years old and the learning curve was very steep. But more importantly, it was about having my perspectives challenged my values challenged. And I think that most parents expect their children to travel in school and start that experience. So we're investigating traveling options. And a lot of traveling options overseas look like a cushy jewel, a happy you know, holiday rather than an experience that is going to create that challenge. And we came across World Challenge and we asked Tamman to come and have a chat to us. And I think the values aligned very well, specifically with experiential learning with challenging the students the way they think and I think more importantly perhaps just creating a bit of gratitude for what we do have back at home here. Tamman we're hearing the word experiential a couple of times Uh, describe a typical tour that you guys do. Um, A typical tour is a 16-day tour during um, school holidays so they need to cover four different aspects on each of the expeditions and that means they need to have a challenge of some sort um, the challenge is usually in a hiking form where they have to carry their own kit, or it could be uh, camel tracking in Morocco, it could be whitewater rafting in Borneo. There are loads of different challenges that they could have decided before they depart. And then there is also the um, exploration phase, which means they need to immerse themselves into different cultures and explore, try new foods, um, learn how to exchange money. And then they have the rest and relaxation phase where we want them to have a little bit of fun. Um, you know, they go out, get out there and they figure out what they want to do in their rest and relaxation phase to just really enjoy themselves. We don't go to hotspot tourist destinations. So when they find a rest and relaxation phase, it's usually off the beaten track. Um, and then the fourth thing is obviously the overall expedition and the pre-departure, all the planning before they actually go on their expedition. So this isn't something we just wake up one day and say, well, I'm going to send my child on a World Challenge expedition next month. No, it's a 12 to 18 month program. So they need to sign up um, 12 to 18 months before actual departure. 
And then World Challenge as an organization goes in and we do about seven different support meetings to help them along the way to be able to figure out how they're going to put the whole itinerary together. Gersh, how are you seeing this integrating into the school? What are you trying to achieve by sending children on this? I like the fact that it has some legs in terms of longevity. I like the fact that there's a goal. One of the things that I think promotes very good learning is the immersion in the experience. Fun having learning, so you're not having to consciously learn. It's just part of what you're actually doing. I think that's very important. And I like the fact that it's project-based. My conversations with Tamman were about assigning roles amongst the group, people having specific responsibilities and being held accountable for those responsibilities. And I think there's a very, very positive experience from planning something for 12 to 18 months and then pulling the trigger on it and seeing what that looks like at the end of it and perhaps learning without actually realizing that you're learning something along on the journey. So Tamman, with all this planning, obviously everybody gets to the airport on time gets on the plane, arrives there, everything runs smoothly for 16 days. According to plan, we come back and tick the box, lessons learned. I hope not. <laughs> I also hope not. <laughs> um, no, there's actually, when, when they come back, there's obviously a lot of development from when they've actually been on expedition. So it's not just wham, bam, thanks, we've come back and thanks for a great expedition. We do have feedback and we do do follow-ups as well. Um, it is unfortunate that we haven't got a parent here today because it would have been nice to hear about how students have developed. Not, you might not see it immediately. might take a few weeks, could take a few months, but you definitely start seeing changes in your young teenager. We'll come back to the kinds of changes you see, but can you describe some of the things that don't go according to plan when you're in a foreign country? Lots of things don't go according to plan. So even when they arrive at the airport, um, usually they don't all arrive on time on day one because... You know, moms and dads still want to keep control and all of a sudden realize that they need to scan their passport or leave their passport at home or have left the team funds at home. So they need to rush back. When they actually get to on their expedition, they are in full control. So we do have an expedition leader from World Challenge and a teacher from a school that travels um, who need to step back. So from arriving in a destination, they, we do book the first night's accommodation. So a story could be, um, one, I usually run one expedition a year. And majority of the time I have arrived in country and will sit around an airport for four hours until they realize that they need to actually change money and try and figure out how to get to their first night's accommodation, which we do pre-book just the first night to give them a little bit of direction. But it usually takes them hours and hours to even get to their first night's accommodation because they don't know how to read a map or they have put in the wrong thing or they just trust Google Maps, which isn't always the correct way in a third world country. So, so you're literally sitting at the airport watching them, waiting for them to realize that there's agency and it's up to them. Correct. Fantastic. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> What's been the, the longest that it took before people realized, oh, we're sleeping at the airport if we don't do something? Uh, probably about uh, six hours for me. <laughs> and how many dirty looks do you get, you know, looks of expectation? Are you going to solve this problem for us? Oh, I've had teams down in tears saying, how can you just not help us figure things out? Um, yeah, we do obviously guide them a little bit, but it can take them a long time, especially if you're in a country where the English isn't their first language and they're trying to communicate and they're finding it very difficult. So they yeah. need to learn those skills very quickly about how to communicate. We do work with technology, so we do allow them a smartphone, a team smartphone, and um, they've now realized that they can download Google Translate. So that's a huge help as well. It's outcomes-based. You achieve the goal uh, and innovate along the way. 
Correct. Average size of the group that goes along with these tours? A minimum size is 10. And then we, if we have about 18 in a team, we usually recommend to the school to split it into two teams. So we like smaller teams. We don't want extra large teams because they do need to take um, public transport and find their own accommodation. So if you have large teams, it's very difficult for the team to find all of those things. So, so you talked about whitewater rafting. You talked about camel tracking. What, what are the kind of things the kids get down and dirty with? What, do they, what are they getting their hands dirty doing over those days? Um, on those days, they... <laughs> Firstly, it's a challenge, obviously, getting, if we're talking about a hike, um, they have to do their own cooking. They have to, first of all, have to go shopping for the actual uh, challenge phase. So they would need to figure out their breakfast, lunches, and dinners. Um, They need to figure out how to get comfortable at night to sleep. If it's in a hammock, they're putting up their own hammocks. If it's tents, they need to put up their own tents. Um, We do also do project work, so that's also another area where they're going to be getting down and dirty, where it could be construction and helping the locals in those areas. And what's the teacher-pupil ratio or or leader ratio? It's one teacher and one expedition leader per 10. Um, Sometimes schools do have two teachers. Um, It all depends on the school and their preference. And how much of a challenge is it getting the teachers to not lean in and, and... that's probably one of the biggest challenges for an expedition leader is to get a teacher to step back because they're so used to being in control. And I'm speaking from experience from being a teacher myself. That's Gosh, how I got involved. Gosh, how does that align with Edging's objectives? You know, six hours at an airport, I think that team learned very, very quickly what the expectations were. If they're kind of sorted out right away and it's an hour in the airport and they're getting going, they'll have that learning curve elsewhere. I bet that team after six hours kind of sorted it out very quickly and who was doing what and realized that they're actually in control and have to do what needs to get done. I think teachers are becoming more about facilitating the learning process. And I think that's best demonstrated in sitting back sometimes and letting the kids fail, solve their own problems, go through what we call the learning pit of frustration and, and the challenge. And learning only really happens when it's hard. If everything's just laid out for these kids, then... They're not really learning. So that kind of ties in with what we do most of the time. As you say, teachers like to just solve the problem. Sometimes their frustration level means that they want to move on. So take a good book, sit back, relax, do your you know, do your travel guide thing and, and watch what's happening. I think that's a very good learning experience for the teachers as well, especially huge. old teachers. Yeah, it's a huge learning experience for the teachers. Um, and they get a lot out of this as well out of going on a world challenge and the respect and the relationships they form with the students from being on an expedition. One of the words we hear a lot when people describe the future world of work is uh, grit and the other is teamwork. Uh, I imagine that there's some grit development happening here. Are you able to easily predict who the leader in that pack is when you arrive at the airport? Can you look at them and go, oh, that one there is going to be the leader and this one, or do they surprise you? They surprise you every single time. The one that you think is going to be the leader and especially the one that the teacher thinks is going to be the leader. You always have a conversation as an expedition leader with the teacher. It's never the case. It's never the one who actually has the biggest and the best leadership roles. So it is always very, very surprising. I think that's one of the, the things that I enjoy about creating these situations. It's the popular guy or lass who, who, who generally gets chosen as the leader the person who puts their hand up first, the person who's perceived as being the smartest, they don't necessarily have the skills. And I've seen on numerous occasions where leaders put up their hand 
rah rahing ahead and the team's going, this is not the direction we want to go to. You're not listening to us. You're not paying attention to what we really need to do. And I suppose real life situations create real life leaders. Cometh, cometh the hour, cometh the man, you know? Uh, so we're talking about real practical development here. What happens inside these children's heads? <laughs> um, are there tears? Are there, there breakdowns? Are there existential have, crises in foreign lands? Yeah, very many different mixed emotions. Um, you do have some very strong, you know, mentally strong students um, when they go and they have prepared. So that's the whole point of the the preparation before we actually go is for them to really dig deep and try and get more prepared and you know, mentally, it's a, it's a challenge. Um, you do have tears sometimes, but we train to try and overcome those tears and help them along the way. Um, you have loads of laughter and loads of mistakes, and they become family. The whole team becomes one big happy family by the time they get back. And that's what I think is so important is they do learn how to work as a team. And, you know, they all help one another along, along the difficult times. And it's not the teacher or the expedition leader stepping in when someone is down or upset or finding things tough. It's actually the team that steps in. So when you say mistakes, give me an example of a mistake that a team made that you just had to bite your tongue and watch unfold. Um, I can think of thousands different of different mistakes. Um, a big mistake might be with budget. Uh, that's always a big one. So budget, um, you know, we give a, a sample of what they should be spending and they just completely get the exchange rate completely wrong because they find it very difficult to understand from RANDs. We usually give US dollars to the team and then converting it into whichever currency they're in. Um, watching them give over way too much money at a restaurant and the restaurant thinks this is great. It's a great huge tip. Um, that's a big mistake. Or I've had mistakes where students will completely go in the wrong direction. Um, like I've mentioned before, they don't know how to really read maps. So they might be walking in a wrong direction to get to a bus stop, for example. But um, we need to just be quiet. And we know as an expedition leader that they're probably going to be other buses. So if they miss their bus, that's a lesson they're going to learn. So that could be another example. And if they don't, well, if they miss the bus and there's no bus, they're going to find some other accommodation and make another plan. Exactly. And it really is finding making a, a new plan. And that's why the itineraries are never what they seem, you know, before they go. So the itineraries that they've put together always change because they probably are going to miss a bus or have to figure out another night's accommodation somewhere. So, so what kind of milestones would you define as the things they need to achieve while they're there? Milestones that they would need to achieve as individuals is obviously each individual is going to be different milestones um, depending on their maturity level before they even go. So milestones of um, being able to communicate. Every day the team roles actually change within the team. So they all have different leadership roles, which they have come up. So your head of accommodation, head of transport, team leader, head of budget. So they all actually have different phases where they can now figure out what they might actually, what skill is best suited to them, which is great because when they come back, you know, they can use that skill in life, but they can have huge frustrations along the way. So the milestones are obviously for them to slowly develop as they're there by real life experiences. We feel that um, students in this day and age live in little bubbles in their own little comfort zones. And our biggest goal and the biggest milestone for each of them is to step out of that comfort zone and to actually really experience real life and make real-life decisions along the way. Gersh, how do we align this with the curriculum? I don't think it overtly aligns with the curriculum. 
I think it covertly aligns with the curriculum. And that, that means the learning process itself. You know, one of the biggest identified skills that students need in the workplace right now and going into the future is teamwork. And schools create teams by partnering people up, telling them that they must sort out the roles, etc. But it's quite an artificial process. And I think more importantly than just creating teams and working together is learning how to give constructive criticism, constructive feedback. Also receiving criticism and constructive feedback and doing something with it and reflecting on it. I think holding on to a role that you thought you were good at, but there's somebody else who's actually better at it and stepping back and giving them the space to perform better, being held accountable for making your mistakes, but not feeling that it's a failure, just, guys, there's someone who can do this better than me, or asking for help if you're in a role. I think those are very important parts of what working in a team is all about. And in a school where it's pretty artificial, parents get involved, teachers get involved. In this space, it is real. You you held accountable. You are if you're not doing the job properly, guys are not eating. There's no food. There's no place to sleep. We're on the wrong bus. So even if you don't want to be held accountable, just from the consequences of the decisions you've made and how you've made them is very real. And you have to learn and be honest with each other. That's that's the value for me. Tamin, is there a correlation between children who go on these tours and come back and become school leaders, prefects? Yes, huge correlation. We actually do research on that from the feedback. And I mean, majority of the time, students who have been on a world challenge do end up in a leadership role in school when they get back. And it's always surprising when you hear from a teacher saying they were so surprised that that student is now in a leadership role because they never would have thought that until they went on a world challenge and how they've just come back and they've shone, you know, back at school. Have you got any research beyond school? Yes, we do. Um, We have a lot of ambassadors as well who work for us. Doctors, the guy who runs the British Embassy here in South Africa was a World Challenge student. Ex-Olympians who are also our ambassadors. So we do have a lot of research. I think I like the fact that it's about understanding what your role of leadership is. You know, education in corporate leadership is understood not as someone who's cracking the whip from behind or charging from the front but it's about servant leadership, getting a job done, enabling people, creating a space for people to be the best versions of themselves. And I think the roles of leadership in industry today is very different from what it used to be. And when you say teachers are surprised that this person's a leader, it's perhaps because they've got a, a predetermined idea of what a leadership is, somebody who stands up and is the one making the loudest noise, the person who's always leading from the front. And that's not necessarily the case. A leader can be somebody who's soft-spoken, can be an introvert, and have to be an extrovert to be a good leader. It's about somebody who can influence people into doing what needs to be done, working as a team and perhaps becoming the the glue of a team as well. I was um, with a team in Borneo and they learned a lot about palm oil, how it's affecting the orangutans and how they, you know, cutting down all the rainforest. And there was one student who has Asperger's on the trip with us. And, you know, he just annoyed everyone as... Somebody, somebody would in the beginning, and everyone was very wary. The teacher was very concerned about this uh, certain student traveling, and he's the one who probably came out the most surprising. And was the he's the one who educated the whole team about palm oil. He's now gone back to a project in Sepalok in Borneo, and he's now working there. He's now one of the managers at this project site, which is amazing. I mean, you know, from after school deciding to do that. Um, 
And it was just so amazing how he brought the team together from everyone rolling their eyes the first day or two by the end, all being best friends and actually looked up to him. And he was probably one of the best leaders that we've had. So we always get surprised. The global citizenship is an important part of the leadership program as well. One of Edwin's core values is respect, tolerance and acceptance of people, not just of your teammates, but what's happening in the world around you. You know, culturally different people, people who see the world differently to you as well. Let's talk a little bit about those projects. One of, those are one of the things that appeal to me because it's not just a trip about having fun and you know, setting your own goals, but actually contributing to where you're going and being a citizen, leaving the space they've been in a better place than when they arrived there. That's very important for me as well. That's probably one of the most important aspects for me as well and probably why I got involved with World Challenge is the project work that they need to do when they are on expedition. Um, first of all, they need to fundraise towards it it is also included uh, a fundraising aspect of this of the expeditions trying to get them ready to be able to go into a culture and we do try and help them understand that just because we think in a certain way we've been taught in a certain way is not the way it might work in country so we really want them to actually get involved in the you know the village they're in or the culture that they in to understand how things work there to get involved and help them how they need, feel they need help rather than us with our Western minds going in saying, oh, but you're doing it all wrong, let's do it another way. And they learn that way. I mean, an example is even just building construction, you know, having fish gut and um, some weights, fish weights to be able to measure if something is straight rather than having a, what do you call them? Spirit, a spirit level. Spirit level, yeah. thank you. Um, you know, something very simple like that or how to mix cement where they're actually going to the river and getting sand uh, to mix the cement. It's not just going to a shop in your Western world and, and buying everything or employing someone to help where they're actually getting down and dirty and doing it themselves. So it's a huge advantage for them to really learn and understand a culture and change their mindset completely and that's what we're trying to achieve. Can you give us examples of some of the projects that they've built and what the students are actually doing out there? Yeah, we well first of all um, in the phase before they leave, the pre-departure phase, they need to decide what type of project they would like to do. So we have projects, we have conservation projects where they could be working with turtles, elephant sanctuaries um, or sun bears in Borneo and there's also we do a lot of forestation so our carbon footprint, as we call it, is you know helping with planting trees or uh, clearing mangroves in Madagascar. So that could be a, cons- a conservation project. Then with buildings, majority of our projects are based with building, so construction. And that is working at a school, for example. Um, sometimes we have different phases, so it's not just going in and painting a wall and making pretty murals and the team being, oh, yay, look what we've done. It's more about doing a phase of a building. So there's a bigger picture. So they might do um, one section of it. So, you know, doing just the foundation. And then after that, another team might come in and be building walls after that. And eventually it becomes something much bigger. Um, we have examples. And if you go to our website, you'll see the examples of a, an, this amazing school, um, a four-level story school that we built in Nepal, which... Is a huge accomplishment for World Challenge. It took seven years to get there, but that's something that we're trying to achieve is let's look forward rather than the now. And we don't want instant gratification. And students need to learn that not everything is instant gratification. And I think that is a big example. We do sustainable development projects as well, working in villages, you know, rural villages in Vietnam, for example. Uh, we've put in 
even something simple like putting a walkway in for the um, disabled who are in wheelchairs and they've never been able to get to the ablution block because they can't get there. So putting in something very simple like a walkway makes a huge difference in someone's life. Or even putting in ablutions when they've never had ablutions makes a big difference. So that's examples of kind of projects that we work on. Where do we start? A school has, uh, is listening to this, somebody's intrigued. How many tours do you have a year? How often? How do they choose? Where do, where do they start? They start by contacting all challenge. Um, so we can go in and have a meeting with them and also just to understand what they're looking for. Um, we do... We do ask uh, student, uh, schools to, you know, obviously have different destinations in mind, what they're looking for. We don't want to open a can of worms to a school, but once they've decided on different destinations, we'll send a proposal through, and then they need to get Board of Governors permission or, you know, Head's permission um, to be able to follow this through. Uh, we usually have to go in and present to the Board as well. From there, we then launch in an assembly, a school assembly, and we try and get students excited. But we're also very realistic with them to make sure they understand they're not going on a five-star hotel holiday where everything's going to be planned. And from there, we have a parents' presentation information evening, and then parents can also apply online after that. So we like to do school-specific. Um, so depending on how many schools we get, great. I mean, you know, we in South Africa, we've been around for seven years now, and we've got over 100 schools in our books. Over one and a half thousand students have traveled with us from around South Africa. If a school doesn't get a full team, we then look at the alternative of joining up with another school that's willing to, you know, accept um, students from with that on from their school to join in. And then off they go, they go on expedition for 16 days, a year later. Gersh, which project is Eduink looking at? I think the project we're looking at is just the world challenge. I, I don't think it really matters where we're going. I think what's important that it is happening. And I think the conversation with Tamman is that we start putting this together. I think what I do like about it is that the kids are raising money as well. It makes it more accessible than just mom and dad forking out, you know, 40, 50, 60,000 rand for a trip. The kids are contributing to it. I think there's a lot more gratitude that goes with that too and a lot more buy-in to the process. Um, I think they really will experience something that's very positive. So what I really like about it is the delayed gratification that you're talking about and the gratitude that comes with having that experience, putting it together. So I don't know where we're going, but I think we're definitely going to be going somewhere. Fantastic. Simon, where do people get hold of you? They can get hold of us on our World Challenge website, which is www.wearewillchallenge.com. And then there's a South Africa click. And then our number's there as well. Email address, contact form is all there. So quite easy to get in touch with us. Fantastic. Thank you both for joining us today.